I'm Jacob Schatz. And I'm Bryce Miller. And this is Talking Atlas. How many days can you take to spoil one set? With Dominaria, we've almost lost count. As we celebrate a return to the root of Magic's multiverse, the cards are arriving. Each day spent refreshing brings us closer to the full spoiler. I've lived through the season, and I know. This time, it will be different. Together, we will revel in these reveals. For about a month. (laughs) Dominaria cannot wait, and neither will we. Thank you. Thank you. I had no idea what was coming. I was just told that Jacob had a great cold intro. I said that I had a cold intro. I gave no oh, quality okay. on you it. You are right. You said it was a cold intro, and you said it would be great to not lead in with anything else. <laughs> Welcome to Spoiler Season Dominaria, everybody. It's been a long time coming. Or in some ways, it was a really short time in coming, because we accidentally started it really, really early, but only kind of partially... With the cards, not the flavor text, and not the images, it's been very strange. But now we're through week one of literal actual spoiler season. As opposed to literal leak season, which is really most seasons, let's be honest here. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many products. Anyway, we can sit here bantering all day. Jacob knows that. I know that. You might not know that. We're not going to prove it to you. Instead... We are going to start going through these cards because there's already a ton to talk about, and this is only week one of actual official spoilers. We're going through the reveals chronologically, starting with the first time that we got an entire card spoiled, art, flavor text, etc. And that means that we get to start with Homerid Explorer! God. Three and a blue for a 3-3 creature Homerid Scout. When Homerid Explorer enters the battlefield, target player puts the top four cards of their library into their graveyard. Flavor text, Homerid spread northward from Sarpedia as the climate cooled, raiding coastal sediments for supplies. Time of ice. They were raiding coastal sediments? They were stealing from rocks on the coast? Settlements, though it does look oh. like this guy's got some rocks tied to him. He did seem kind of weighed down. You look into his beady eyes and you see the heaviness of existence. <laughs> no, I look into his typeline, creature Homerid scout, then I see the heaviness of his existence. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what a homerid is, it's a lobster person. Lobster person to distinguish from, say, crab person, or crawfish person, or shrimp person? That's a concerning image right there. Crustacean person. I honestly don't know if lobsters are the key source for a homerid art. Yeah, crustacean person is probably the most accurate statement. You see, I have a bit of a beef, which is not intending to be a pun, with homerids. You see, homerids water down my crustacean tribal deck. That was intended to be a pun. Not really a pun. More of a snakes versus naga joke. Because I do have very strong feelings on snakes versus naga. I don't actually have (laughs) strong feelings on... Homerid versus crab versus other crustaceans. Are trilobites crustaceans? Were I they could crustaceans? Not tell you. There is a trilobite card. If you missed it in Ixalan, there, that actually is a thing. One creature with type line trilobite. Beside the point, it was a joke. Let's move on. <laughs> we talked a bit about the sagas last week, or two weeks ago, as the case may be. 
I'll try to give you a brief overview right now. Saga is an enchantment subtype in Dominaria. All the enchantments are flavored to be things from Dominaria's history that would have been written down in some form. The border is differently formatted. There is the name and mana cost at the top, the type line at the very bottom. In between on the left side is the rules text, on the right side is a lovely lengthy piece of art. When it enters the battlefield it gets a lore counter. On your turn after your draw step, so actually during your main phase, it gets another lore counter. After three happens, you sacrifice it, and each of the abilities are divided up based upon what lore counter was just added to it. Phyrexian Scriptures is the first one that we saw the full card of. At one, you put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature. That creature becomes an artifact in addition to its other types. Two is destroy all non-artifact creatures. Then three is exile all cards from all opponents' graveyards. I don't have a great deal more to say mechanically about sagas than we already said. They're cool, they're new design space, the border play is weird, but I think it's what you get when Richard Garfield works in your set, and that's great. And I look forward to seeing more of these horizontal arts. Sorry, opposite, vertical. It's been a long day. It hasn't <laughs> been a long day. It's been a pretty normal day. Every piece of art for the sagas has just been phenomenal. The Phyrexian scriptures are no exception with... I want to say a Phyrexian altar, but that's an actual term and has card and art space associated with it. Is this a Phyrexian altar? Well, I'll tell you my reading of it. There is an inscription in stone, at the top of which is Yogmoth's mask, which is crying blood onto Phyrexian text, and there is an arm over top. I'm pretty sure that arm is a sacrifice. Well, sorry. The arm is attached to a sacrifice <laughs> who probably bled out and is what the mask is bleeding. So yes, I'm going to say it's an altar. If you just sacrifice an arm, you only get one half of a colorless mana. Whoa, whoa, Jacob. Phyrexian altar gives you one mana of any color. Get it right. You think you're going to get a colored mana for just an arm? No, but colorless mana coming from an altar, I think Ashnod's altar. It's fine. It's, it's, it's okay. We, our jokes are really not landing right now. <laughs> During our mechanics breakdown two weeks ago, we talked about legendary sorceries. There are six in this set, and they all have art by Noah Bradley, and every art is gorgeous. The first legendary sorcery that was revealed to us was Urza's Ruinous Blast. Four and a white for a legendary sorcery. And as a reminder, you may cast a legendary sorcery only if you control a legendary creature or planeswalker. Exile all non-land permanents that aren't legendary. Centuries ago, one man's vengeance plunged the world into ice and darkness. Got a little Kingdom Hearts at the end there. Darkness. <laughs> Give in to the darkness inside your heart. I don't think that's actually a piece of dialogue. I've I do like never Hearts, played though. that game, so all I know is darkness. I mean, that's fair. This is representative of Urza using the Golgothian Silex to end the Antiquities War against his brother Mishra and take out an island and also ignite his Planeswalker Spark. If you want a fun trip through magic, mechanical, and flavorful history, go take a look at Golgolfian Silex. It's four mana for an artifact. One tap. Each non-token permanent with a name originally printed in the Antiquities expansion is sacrificed by its controller. The magic comprehensive rules, in order to make this weird card work, actually lists out every single card that this applies to. I mean, it's nice, but it's no apocalypse chime. Yep, uh, you. <laughs> With the exception of the odd man out sixth multicolor card, 
these legendary sorceries are a very tight cycle. They're all someone's blank blank. Urza's Ruinous Blast, Karn's Temporal Sundering, Yogmoth's Vile Offering, Jaya's Immolating Inferno, and Kamal's Druidic Vow, as mentioned, all with fantastic art by Noah Bradley. I would like to call special attention to the art for Karn's Temporal Sundering. It's four blue-blue for a legendary sorcery. Target player takes an extra turn after this one. Return up to one target, non-land permanent, to its owner's hand. Exile Karn's Temporal Sundering. Karn is featured in the center of the art, and across it from left to right are a series of vertical slices, as opposed to left to right horizontal slices, I guess, that show different times of day and clearly times of history or alternate history in Dominaria. It's probably one of my favorite pieces of magic art that I've seen in this set. Small comment that is a critique but isn't really Noah Bradley's fault. Take a look at the full art for this card. This art is meant to depict some of the chaos that was kind of accidentally wrought by Karn in him being sent back in time and meddling with the timeline. Consequently, his expression is intended to be one of panic or, or sort of screaming. It turns out, a silver golem screaming looks really silly. Again, no offense to Noah Bradley, lovely art. He may have been put in between a rock and a Karn place, and the result is a very silly golem. Well, a very silly golem's face. The rest of the golem is fine. Boo! I was originally going to say a rock in a hard place, the hard place being the golem, but, you know, six of one, half a dozen Karns of the other. <laughs> While we're here, I should mention that Primeval's Glorious Rebirth is a slam dunk for Super Friends decks everywhere, so long as they have white-black. It's five white-black for a legendary sorcery. Return all legendary permanent cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. Probably the only other deck that this will apply to are decks with Legends Matters themes, which is not going to be many, seeing as the predominant existing Legends Matter commander is Captain Sisse in white-green. But there are so many Legend Matters tools, toys in this set that we'll probably see it in other colors too. I don't know how to neatly integrate this into other parts of our spoiler here, but I believe the reason that Primeval's Glorious Rebirth exists as the sixth legendary sorcery is because White Black has a slightly higher concentration of legendary creatures as the representative of the legendary sub-theme for the uh, archetypes in this set. The draft uncommons for this set, that is a cycle of ten two-color cards that represent the two-color combinations and their draft archetypes, appear to be a cycle of legendary creatures. The first one that we got to see was Shana, Sisei's Legacy. White-green for a 0-0 legendary creature human warrior. She can't be the target of abilities your opponents control, and she gets plus one plus one for each creature you control. As a consequence of this cycle, and also a consequence of numerous uncommon legendary creatures, this set's going to be real weird for Commander and Pauper Commander. Pauper Commander is a an obscure format, let me be honest, that I'm quite fond of, that involves building a deck of all commons with an uncommon creature as your commander. There have not been many uncommon legends. In fact, I think the only previous time we saw that in modern magic was Kamigawa, previously in Legends and some other really early sets. A lot of these can be built for both commander and pauper commander. I don't know what that means. I don't know what I would rather do if I saw one that I liked. I will probably be conflicted until I decide whether or not I want to build any of these. Not only that, but all of these creatures are going to be legal as commanders in Brawl, too. 
It's true. That's three commander variants that these cards are getting entered into on their first printing. Well, three that more than ten people care about. <laughs> hey, Shauna Sisse's legacy is legal in Tiny Leaders. That she is. And two voices chorused out in celebration. I thought you were going to say, and two voices listening to this podcast just went, Hey, <laughs> I play Tiny Leaders. You guys are jerks. Apparently it got solved very quickly. Also, there were some maybe morally dubious origins of the format. There were some theories about who put it together and who was trying to profit off of selling cards that wouldn't otherwise have a demand. It's fine. We don't need to get into this dead format. We'll let sleeping formats... Lo we won't beat a dead format? Oh no, it's a bummer. Quick, let's transition to something that's not a bummer. Um, Zelfir and Void. No, dang it! Hey, no, ah, I mean, it's fine. It's another bummer. It's an okay land. It's, it's fine, uh, don't worry. How about this really cute two-card cycle? Wizard's Lightning and Wizard's Retort. Sure. Wizard's Lightning is two and a red for an instant. It costs two less to cast if you control a wizard. It deals three damage to any target, which means, as review, creature, planeswalker, or player. Then there's Wizard's Retort. One blue blue. It's an instant. It costs one less if you control a wizard. Counter target spell. The flavor text of Wizard's Lightning is, The study of magic began when the first mage taught herself to throw lightning. Attributed to Naban, Dean of Iteration. Then, on the other card, we have... The second mage learned to dissipate blasts of lightning. Threat and response. Thus did the study of magic progress. Also attributed to Naban. In short, this is a burn spell that becomes lightning bolt if you have a wizard, and a counterspell that becomes... Counterspell. If you control a wizard. I'm becoming fond of the strictly better cancels we've been getting. Alongside our multicolored legendary creatures... There's also a cycle of monocolored legendary creatures at Uncommon. Because why not? Actually, why? Because there's a Legends Matters theme, so you really want frequent legends. Anyway, proceed. Danitha Capuchin, Paragon. Two and a white for a 2-2 legendary creature, Human Knight. With First Strike, Vigilance, Lifelink, and Aura and Equipment spells you cast cost one less to cast. Flavor text, I will protect the less fortunate. I will love bravely. I will face despair and fight on. As a Capuchin, I can do no less. I will also rock a badass undercut. And this sweet stained glass sword! Oh my god. All right, I need to take a second because the design for the people that are aligned with the Church of Sarah, oh my god, the visuals are incredible. They all have this, this rainbow stained glass shtick going on. It's incorporated into their armor and their shields and their weapons, and it's all colorful and pretty and Ah, I've never even made a cosplay prop, and I want to make one of those spears. I appreciate it as a way to distinguish, I think it's not just Sarah, but also the, the Benelish art style. Probably. Because before it was just fantasy warrior, and now it's super magical, beautiful, gorgeous fantasy warrior. This is, of course, disregarding the practical questions concerning stained glass as a weapon. It's enchanted. A wizard did it. It's perfectly fine. Hey! Cool. The third wizard learned how to make stained glass, and they found it was fragile, so they learned how to make it not break. Next up, a bit of an odd card from the Planeswalker decks, Niambi, Faithful Healer. One white-blue for a legendary creature, Human Cleric. She's a 2-2 with, when she enters the battlefield, you may search her library and or graveyard for a card named Tefiri Timebender, reveal it, and put it into your hand. If you search her library this way, shuffle it. Every Planeswalker deck 
has its central planeswalker and a copy of a card that searches your library for them. This one stands out to me because Niami's a legendary creature. Obviously, Tefiri Timemender is not. If you really wanted to, this means you could effectively have a commander deck that is a planeswalker by having this three mana creature that tutors up your commander. And if you flicker her or recast her, you can get him back from your graveyard, which is actually okay. Plus, this Tefiri is pretty decent. He's four white-blue for a legendary planeswalker. Tefiri enters with five loyalty, plus two, untap up to one target artifact or creature. Minus three, you gain two life and draw two cards. Minus nine, take an extra turn after this one. Would he be a great commander? No. But if you've ever wanted more of an excuse to run a planeswalker as your commander and don't want to play Brawl for it, you can play Tefiri. Sort of. Indirectly. If you pay some mana. Got another saga here for you. Fall of the Thran. Five and a white for an enchantment saga. One, destroy all lands. Two and three, each player returns two land cards from their graveyard to the battlefield. The art for this card is, I believe, a metal etching depicting the Thran being crushed under the machines that they made. It is worth calling attention to the individual visual styles in which the sagas have been done. Because all of them clearly have a medium in mind. These aren't pieces of generic art. These are Dominarian artifacts in the lowercase a sense that we are seeing on a card. So the fall of the Thran being a metal etching makes sense. History of Benalia looks a lot more like stained glass. Triumph of Gerard, which we passed over earlier, is a statue. The Flame of Keld appears to be either a tome that has fire coming out of it, or some sort of furnace. The Phyrexian Scriptures is etched on the side of an altar. Time of Ice is a very carefully stylized, I think, tapestry. Overall, a really excellent way to pay homage to the history of Dominaria in a way that is cohesive. I have to mention it because you didn't mention my very favorite art and my very favorite medium done for the sagas, which is The First Eruption, with art by Stephen Belladin, it's a painting in the style of a weaving. Oh god, that must be so much effort. Go look up the high-res version of this art. It is so intricate. Tiny, tiny little strokes just making up this entire big painting. And the whole thing looks like it's been woven out of thread. Oh my god. It's gorgeous okay i just looked up the image you act this looks this actually does look like it was woven when you're not looking at a tiny card it's breathtaking wow okay yeah i second what jacob said go look this up a card i am personally curious to see its impact steel leaf champion green 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 for a five four creature elf knight but wait bryce you might ask what's the downside well, the downside is that it can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less. What? You what? It's a five-four with <laughs> upside. What? For three. For three mana. This bears comparison to Leatherback Bailoff. Leatherback Bailoff is green, green, green for a creature beast that is a four-five. Let's have a brief conversation about power, power curves, and power creep. If you would like a slightly longer summary on this, I highly recommend the extra credits video on Power Creep. Now, 
people are pretty quick to look at a card in Magic, say, hey, this is more powerful than X card. Power creep. Not quite. Because power creep is not about a strictly better card being printed. Power creep is about a strictly better card being printed when the card it is better than is already on the power curve or above the power curve for the game. What does that mean? Well, in the case of Magic, it would probably mean that it shows up in competitive formats with regularity. Looking at a modern staple like Snapcaster Mage. Snapcaster Mage is played in almost every blue deck in modern. Maybe almost every? I'd, I'd say almost every. The majority of blue decks in modern. Yeah, I'll take it. If they printed a Snapcaster that was a 2-2 instead of a 2-1, that would absolutely be power creep. Because they made a card that was already competitive better. On the other hand, Leatherback Bailoff is not really competitive. I should know. I tried playing a Mono Green Devotion deck that used it. Steel Leaf Champion, on the other hand, could be competitively viable. If it is, I would like to head off those of you who might be quick to say, look, power creep. Wizards can't steward their game because they're pretty good at it. Next up, a card that some Magic players, like myself, have been waiting for for literally years. I'm going to say at least two. Dwara, Weatherlight Captain. Dwara is two blue-red for a 3-3 legendary creature human artificer. Whenever you cast a historic spell, draw a card. Reminder text, artifacts, legendaries, and sagas are historic. Way back when, in the fall of 2015, we got Commander 2015. The decks were enemy colored, colors that oppose each other on the back of a magic card, that little pentacle. So it's white, black, blue, red, etc., etc. Me and many other people were expecting that we would get a blue, red artificer commander in that set because that's an archetype that is, especially in recent years, pretty powerfully emphasized. We've seen a lot of notable mono blue artificers, that's nothing new, but we've also seen the surgeons of. Surgeons? I guess you can surge. You can resurge. And you I don't can have think you can resurg- have a surgeons. Yeah, you can have a resurgence, but you can't have a surgeons. <laughs> the recent proliferation, there we go, of mono-red artifact mechanics that have showed up previously as early as Mirrodin, if not earlier, but definitely came into their own in the past three or four years. We did not, as you might guess, get a blue-red artificer commander in that set. This is finally our Blue-Red Artificer Commander, with other upsides as well. Additionally, we have the reveal, full reveal, of a legendary creature that some of us have been waiting for for nearly a month. Oh man. Slimefoot the Stowaway. Actually though, I do like Slimefoot quite a lot. One black green for a 2-3 legendary creature, Fungus. Whenever a sapperling you control dies, Slimefoot the Stowaway deals one damage to each opponent, and you gain one life. Activated ability of four mana, create a 1-1 green sapling creature token. Flavor text, Ajwara restored the weatherlight. A mushroom growing in its hold unexpectedly became her first crew member. The art is better than I could have ever imagined because it depicts a kindly looking slime foot with a bunch of little sapling friends. They're so cute. They got little mushroom caps that are actually hats. (laughs) This being a set all about celebrating Magic's 25 years, it is only appropriate that we have a Moxon in it. Mox Amber is zero mana for a legendary artifact. 
Tap add one mana of any color among legendary creatures or planeswalkers you control. Flavor text. A moment in time made tangible, it has the power to realize epic visions. The original Moxen, Mox Ruby, Mox Jet, et al., were zero-mana artifacts that tapped for a given color, so there was a cycle of them. We've probably had three or four other Moxen over Magic's history. Chrome Mox, Mox Opal, and now Mox Amber. Am I forgetting? Oh, Mox Diamond. The difficulty of making a Moxen... No, Moxen is plural. The difficulty of making a Mox, a singular Mox, is that we can't do broken zero-mana artifacts anymore. It's going to go really poorly for modern. But Mox Amber seems sufficiently safe, seeing as the earliest you could use it is turn one by playing something like Zergo Bellstriker or Isamaru Hound of Konda, which, let's be honest, doesn't happen very often in any format. Except in Commander. Actually, Mox Amber is probably going to be an Isamaru Hound of Konda staple. All three Planeswalker cards for this set have been fully spoiled now, and they are all three returning old walkers. The first is Teferi, Hero of Dominaria. Three white blue for a legendary Planeswalker Teferi. Comes in with four loyalty counters. Plus one, draw a card. At the beginning of the next end step, untap two lands. Minus three, put target non-land permanent into its owner's library, third from the top. And minus eight, you get an emblem with... Whenever you draw a card, exile target permanent and opponent controls. Second, Jaya Ballard is two red 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 for a legendary planeswalker, Jaya. She enters the battlefield with five loyalty counters. Plus one, add red red red. Spend this mana only to cast instant and sorcery spells. Plus one, also, discard up to three cards, then draw that many cards. Minus eight, you get an emblem with, you may cast instant and sorcery cards from your graveyard. If a card cast this way would be put into your graveyard, exile it instead. Essentially, all of your instant sorceries have flashback. And finally, Karn, Scion of Urza. I'm not going to do that for the whole thing. No, I need you to keep your voice for next week's episode. (laughs) Four mana, four generic mana, for a legendary planeswalker, Karn. He comes in with five loyalty counters. Plus one, reveal the top two cards of your library, an opponent chooses one of them, put that card into your hand, and exile the other with a silver counter on it. Minus one, put a card you own with a silver counter on it, from exile, into your hand. Minus two, create a zero-zero colorless construct artifact creature token with this creature gets plus one plus one for each artifact you control. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Is This Karn Planeswalker Going to Be Competitively Playable? Our contestant this week is Jacob Schatz. <coughs> That's, yeah, it's great to be here. Ooh, ooh, feeling good, feeling good. All right, Jacob, are you ready for your first question this week? Yes. Your question is, is Karn, Scion of Urza, going to be competitively viable in any way? Okay, um, I don't know, maybe probably. Final answer. Let's check the board. That's correct, because I also have no idea how competitive formats work. And the crowd goes mild. (laughs) I'm glad how good we are at improvising. (laughs) I'm just happy to see Karn again. That's also true. I have to do my usual dance of hoping that he isn't good enough 
for competitive formats so that I can get one cheaply for my Super Friends deck. At least probably. 4 mana for a source of card advantage and also blockers is really okay as far as Super Friends goes. Unfortunately, you may have to wait until he's out of standard because Mark Rosewater said on his Tumblr that they're introducing a rules change to Brawl that will more easily allow you to play a colorless brawler, I guess, oh. the commander for the Brawl format. Are they letting you use basic lands as an exception? They haven't said what the tweak is yet. Huh. He just said, stay tuned for a thing that'll let you play your colorless brawler. In before wastes reprint? I think it's more likely that they're going to say that basic lands don't have a colored identity for brawl. I, I agree. I would love a waste reprint, but they'd have to keep doing it in standard. and I don't know that they want to do that. Yeah, that would be weird. As much as it could upset me that Karn may be expensive due to brawl demand, that would be a pretty neat deck. I would, I would enjoy the deck, even if it got in the way of me playing it in my other deck. Even though... I am a player who has joined within the last few years of Magic's history. I appreciate that all of the Planeswalker cards for this set were from characters from before the Mending. Two of these characters we haven't seen in a while, and they haven't gotten new cards in years. Certainly. Jaya Ballard has not had a card, I believe, since original Time Spiral, as opposed to the sequel to Time Spiral. Since Time Spiral. And she's been referenced in story a few times because she accidentally created a monastery on Ragatha. Tefiri did get a reference because he was the mono blue planeswalker in the Commander 2014 Planeswalker Commander decks. But it does hold that these are pretty big magic characters that have not had spotlight in a long time. And even though I am not in the camp that hates the Gatewatch, when we go back to Dominaria, we can't focus on the Gatewatch. Not for an anniversary set. I agree entirely. Next up, a card that had to happen, and I am very glad that it did. Weatherlight. It's four mana for a legendary artifact vehicle, because we have those now. It's a 4-5 with flying. It has crew 3, which means that it isn't a creature normally, but you can tap creatures with a total power of 3 or more to crew it, then it becomes a creature till end of turn. The rest of its ability is, whenever it deals combat damage to a player, look at the top 5 cards of your library. You may reveal a historic card from among them, and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Mechanically, this seems fine to me. Card advantage on a vehicle? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> And then looks accusingly at Smuggler's Copter. Actually, though, this is card advantage, not card quality. It doesn't happen as often as Smuggler's Copter can force it to. Also, it's not a two-mana vehicle. Also, its crew cost is not one. So I think it will be fine. But I'm still glad it's here. It's interesting to me that design-wise, bigger vehicles are safer in some ways. Oh, absolutely. Rather, bigger vehicles, so long as they don't have small crew costs. Mechanically related to Weatherlight is Board the Weatherlight. That may come as no surprise. It's one and a white for a sorcery. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a historic card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. First off, yes, it's cute that Board the Weatherlight is the thing the Weatherlight does. More importantly, since when does white get tweaked versions of mulch effects? Have we ever seen this kind of card quality in white, or card selection? 
I don't think so. But this is an interesting application of what they're calling batching technology. I don't know why they use the term technology to describe a mechanic type, but I like it. It's cute. Mark Rosewater has expounded on the nature of historic being a kind of mechanic that they haven't done very often. Taking things that we already know about and putting them into a group and then making cards that care about that specific group of cards. He's answered a couple of questions about it, and he says that they're testing out this idea of batching, and if it goes well for Historic, then they might be able to try other applications of it. Historic cares about specifically things that white can care about. Sagas, they get to decide what colors care about sagas because they're inventing them for this set. Artifacts, white has cared a little bit about artifacts in the past, more specifically equipment, but... There's an argument to be made that for this set, it's okay. And Legendaries, white can care about legendary things. White and black are the characteristic colors for legendary things, specifically in this set. So it works out that the historic batch fits in white's color pie pretty neatly. I'd love to see what other kinds of batching mechanics could be made that fit specifically in other parts of the color pie. Somebody suggested an aquatic batch that has the uh, catch-all for merfolk and octopi and leviathans that they've done on a couple of cards. Because those are things that Blue can care about. To answer my own earlier question, Board the Weatherlight is the fourth card in Mono White that does this kind of card selection. Courageous Outrider from Eldritch Moon cares about getting a human from the top. Deploy the Gatewatch gets you Planeswalkers from the top, but also puts them on the battlefield. And then Stoneforge Acolyte can, if you jump through some hoops, get you an equipment from the top. So the answer is more than I remembered, but this is also the first that is a cantrip in the traditional sense. Next up, we have the big bad for the Gatewatch half of this set story, Demon Lord Belzenlock. Four black black for a legendary creature, Elder Demon. Belzenlock is a 6-6 with Flying and Trample, and when Demon Lord Belzenlock enters the battlefield, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land card. Then, put that card into your hand. If the card's converted mana cost is 4 or greater, repeat this process. Demon Lord Belzenlock deals 1 damage to you for each card put into your hand this way. From the release notes... Once the triggered ability resolves, the ability will continue until you either exile a non-land card with converted mana cost 3 or less, or fail to exile any non-land cards while performing the process. You can't choose to stop receiving the blessings of Demon Lord Belzenlock any sooner. What this card tells me is we have a pretty reasonable in for this to be the commander of a Liliana-themed demon deck, since you will get almost every Liliana Planeswalker in four or greater mana, as well as every one of the other demons. But you have to be careful with the deal, because if you put a bunch of four mana or higher cards into your deck, he'll just keep giving you gifts and kill you. Meh, nothing ventured. A card very important to us, Icy Manipulator. It's four mana for an artifact. One tap, tap target artifact, creature, or land. Flavor text, Ice May Thaw but Malice never does. And most importantly, art by Titus Lunter! <laughs> Is the manipulator a D12? It looks like a D12. I want it to be a D12. 
It is now. I appreciate that Titus didn't go for the ornate and convoluted torture machine for his icy manipulator like art that has been used in the past. Icy manipulator is a card with a surprising number of different arts. There's the one that Jacob just alluded to. Then there's the one from Mirrodin, which is the person holding a very frosty sphere. There's a promo, which might actually be a reprint of a previous version of it. And that one is pretty plain in a kind of painterly style. But then there's the more recent one, which is weirdly sci-fi. Also, hey Titus, branding opportunity. Icy Manipulator D12s. Think about it. I have no idea why my mind went there, but I thought you were going to say Icy Manipulator slushy machines. Well, now that we're on the topic. (laughs) Though it should not surprise me at all. We have just about reached a normal episode length, and we only have gotten through Monday's cards from this set. Fair warning, this may be a three-part spoiler episode, but really that's probably appropriate for a return to Magic's homeland. Well, Jacob, if someone wanted to learn from you how they could get chosen for Is This Card Going to Be Competitively Viable? Where might they go? They could find me anywhere they find somebody named Frogger, spelled P-H-R-A-W-G-E-R. That's Twitter, that's Tumblr, that's Reddit, and I guess network television if we can get it syndicated. And Bryce, if someone wanted to question you about your dubious flippance regarding deals with demons, where would they be able to find you? Ha, flippance? Like you flip cards off? No, you don't. You don't say that. (laughs) They can find me on Twitter as walking underscore atlas, or you can email us at info at opalnebula.com. For more Talking Atlas, find us on iTunes, Google Play, or our website, opalnebula.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please consider finding us on Patreon at patreon.com slash opalnebula. Dominaria cannot wait. But you're gonna have to. And until next time, happy planeswalking, everyone. Everyone.